this week on Plot Points Podcast, we shine a spotlight on Spotlight. We screen the screens. And if you want to know who killed Laura Palmer, don't ask Bob Engels. This is Plot Points Podcast. Thank you for doing this, by the way. I appreciate it. Oh, no worries. I, I get to do podcast in my underwear. Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe a little too much information. Yeah. Hi, this is Mark with Plot Points Podcast. We are not doing anything like we normally do today. First of all, we're only uh, two of us, me, myself, and Toby Walwork. Hello there. This is the sound of my voice. And we are doing this remotely, uh, not that remotely, meaning like we're at a remote. Well, we are at a remote, I guess. I'm in my home and Toby's in his home. So we're connecting via an app uh, on the internet. And uh, this will be an adventure because neither one of us have ever tried this before, but uh, hopefully it'll it'll work out. It'll be a success if anyone else gets to hear this. That's we'll, pretty we'll, much true. We'll know that we nailed it. That's three points right there. Yeah, that's that's a pretty much a low 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 hanging fruit, but uh, that's true. That's true. Uh, so before we get too far into the podcast, uh, I want to talk about our events we did. But I want to know, Toby, how'd you like WonderCon? Uh, okay, I was at WonderCon today. I'm. Uh, I, I sort of have to recuse myself from saying anything about it because I took my nephew. We ran through it. Um, I, I don't even know if I saw anything. I, I really don't. Um, How old your nephew? Uh, he's 14. And uh, Has and, he and been before? Any, any no. Oh. No, this was it. it. It was sort of fun to see it through his eyes, but it was also unnerving because uh, I could tell very quickly that he was overwhelmed. And then I remembered the first time I went to a WonderCon or a Comic-Con where it's like everything that you like, but hugely out of focus. It's just like, it's just like a... a a uh, fire hose of that stuff yeah. and you can't un- unless you unless you're like i'm only looking for a very specific thing and there's just too much and yeah. uh, i think that's what happened but we had a fun time and he was like well i'll know what to look for next time i go so that was a, a very positive outcome but then for myself i came home with nothing um i don't know if i saw anything uh, <laughs> i did meet a friend of mine there and uh could not remember his name but uh yeah i've been to i was I had every good intention of going this morning and I woke up with this flu bug. Yeah. The, the you know, and for me, it's been one thing after the other, cause we had two events this week for OC screenwriters. The big week for us. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, we had, well, we started a new um, meeting on every third Wednesday in Costa Mesa. We're doing networking with a kind of a, kind of a nominal speaker but it's mostly about networking and talking to people who uh, who don't normally. We're called OC screenwriters, but we've also we've always been inclusive. Yeah. But the problem is with the name. Everybody thinks, oh, they're just screenwriters. Well, you're an editor. You're a writer too, but you're an yeah. editor. You know, Eric's a director. Victor's an illustrator. Uh, so this allowed us to reach out to a segment of the population that we don't normally interface with. I don't. I, how'd you think it went? Honestly, I think that Thursday was uh, Wednesday. and I used the ter- Wednesday. Sorry, Wednesday. They're well apart from my memory. <laughs> Wednesday, an unqualified success. I thought it was great. One of the things that we both discussed was new faces, 
um, people that perhaps the choice of venue, the choice of speaker mm. being on a Wednesday night, night yeah. things on a Saturday day, it opened up what we're trying to give, what we're trying to offer the, the, the community and, and people were there, people were receptive and it was, uh, it was good conversation. And I know for a fact that two of the people that were there on Wednesday uh, and, and we hadn't met before they were at the Saturday event. So it was great. So, yeah. Yeah. It was fantastic. And yeah, also and I, that was Warren Lewis was on Wednesday and Warren Lewis, we've had at another OC screenwriters event, but having him there on Wednesday, um, I thought it was great. He's, he's really a very, um, I guess you said like a raconteur. He's great at telling stories, working with people, interacting in that, in that it was definitely his medium. Mm-hmm. And, and it was intimate and it wasn't, uh, it's not like on a stage. It was like, he's right here. He's talking to you. I thought it was fantastic. I, it, it was, uh, it was, I carefully would say at this point, my favorite event we've done. Really? Yeah. I did. I really thought it was great. Well, I, what I like about it, uh, which has always been what I've tried to accomplish with OC screenwriter. Well, well, I mean, the reason it was started was to do the networking and we, when we were at the theater, we never had that real opportunity because the lobby, we couldn't really gather in the lobby. Um, you know, we could go next door to the, to the local eatery, but it was never comfortable. And then uh, the ones at the claim jumper are okay, but they're, they're not as conducive to that networking thing. Plus, they're, you know, we have to charge for them, and a lot of yeah. that precludes a lot of people. I think above all, we're a social organization and any yeah. opportunity to meet in a social uh, environment and just interact as, as people is, is great and was, great. it was very effective. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So uh, the other thing, the thing that's very serendipitous about this is uh, this is the ninth anniversary of the first meeting of the board of directors, uh, March 22nd. And in May, we put on our first event, which was uh, my friend Clark Peterson, which was great. But, um, you know, this week we had two events and both of them really reflected what we're trying to accomplish with those screenwriters, which is, you know, the, that social aspect you talked about, which I, I do think that's a great point. That's really, truly always been the goal. We just, we just, I don't know. It's hard to say why um, up to this point we haven't done it, but I'm glad we're doing it now. And again, you know, uh, our best, uh, or our greatest thanks to Rich Delisio, who owns uh, C3 Vape and Coffee, where where is where we meet. So you can find that information in two places. One is octvandfilm.com, and the other is ocscreenwriters.com. So this, the second event we did was uh, Bob Engels, who, who was one of the writers, I guess, primarily on the second season of Twin Peaks. Is that what Yeah, you- well, he, he wrote on the first season, but um, between the first and second season, the two – uh, main creative forces behind the show had to leave, moved on to other things. So uh, he really right. got Mark, the responsibility. Mark Frost, right? Yeah, Mark Frost and David uh, David Lynch. They yeah. moved on, and uh, but but and as he said, they were confident that they were leaving the show in good hands. He he definitely seems like he was being groomed in the first season to take over the show because they both knew they weren't going to be there the whole time. Yeah, yeah, I loved. Um, I thought he was great. We also had. Um, my friend Josh Eisenstadt come, who's a director, independent filmmaker. Um, I've written a couple scripts for him uh, that never had, that haven't got filmed yet, but he was there too. And the reason we invited him was he was with us. Were you, uh, did you go to the Halloween event with when he was there? I did, but I was only, I was only there for part of it. So I hadn't really, I hadn't really met Josh before. Yeah. And, and he's a great guy really is. Um, but we had him there because he is a Twin Peaks expert. 
he actually knew, <coughs> excuse me, Bob's credits better than Bob knew his credits. So, which isn't hard to imagine because uh, Josh has been one of the, he's, he's on the, um, what do they call that when they put it on the DVD? The, uh, the, 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 the bonus, com- the commentary. Okay. Yeah, he's on that. He's he does that because he knows so much about Twin Peaks. But it was nice to see him. He just uh, his film Spreading Darkness has just been released. It's with Eric Roberts and John Savage and a couple really well known uh, Twin Peaks actors. He does tap yeah. those people for his films. And we watched that trailer during the uh, the event yesterday or on last Saturday for the folks listening. Right. Uh, jo- Josh, Bob Engels, Warren Lewis, thank you very much. Um, we have more people coming up. In uh, April, we have um, James Herson, who is an entertainment attorney and a talent agent, and then Tiana Lee in May, who is an actress. And in June, I think we're going to get Frank Chindamo, who's a new media guru. Um, and so, again, this is what we're trying to do: is to keep, uh, you know, somebody one of the act one of the actresses at the Wednesday event said it would be nice if there was a scene down here. And I thought, yeah. That's cool. Somebody calling us a scene. I thought that yeah. was yeah. But I also like it because it's like somebody coming to us and saying it would be nice if there was a scene, and and we're sort of saying, well, help us make that. Cool. Yeah, you're right. But it is, it is interactive, just like this podcast. If you guys uh, want to hear things or don't want to hear things, please call. Please contact us. Um, do you want to give them the information, Tobe, or you want? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you want to call and leave a voicemail message, you can call us at nine one nine scripts. S-C-R-I-P-T-S. And of course, we have the website, which is OCScreenwriters.com. We've also got OC Film and Television or OC Film and TV.com. And we have a Facebook group. Uh, they've been in the in the news this week. So you might not want to join us through the Facebook group. That's up right. to you. <laughs> well, we have LinkedIn, Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. We're we on LinkedIn. Also- and basically, all the social networks, we also have websites. And uh, if you can't find us, it's not our fault. <laughs> That's true. Um, we also, you can reach us if, on the podcast at uh, plotpoints.com. That's right, plotpoints.com. Yeah. So uh, what are you watching, Tobe? What are you watching this week? Have you had time to watch anything? We've been Honestly, busy. yeah, it's been kind of a runaround busy week, uh, but I did get to see, just because it came out on uh, on demand, I got to see the most recent reversion of uh, Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, yeah, the Kenneth Branagh one. Yeah, the, uh, yeah directed and starring Kenneth Branagh and uh, a cavalcade of uh, celebrities and stars. And uh, it's a beautifully made film. It looks, it just looks fantastic. And of course, I watched it on TV at home. I have a nice TV, but it's nothing to really crow about. But theatrically, I'm sure it was a real, it's just a beautiful looking film. And the fact that it's a very limited space, and Mark and I are always talking about uh, limited space is, is an exciting uh, screenplay, you know, scenario. Yeah, d- d- uh, define that for the audience in case yeah, they don't it's, know. It's when we're talking about something in, uh, in limited, one or two locations. Lim, yeah, limited. Limited location. That's, that's usually the term, yeah. Limited location. Now, most of this film, almost all the film, takes place in the first-class compartment of a, uh, a, a luxurious train at the, uh, in, in the 1930s. Um, so it's very tight space. But um, only when it suits the story does that ever become anything like claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of creative ways it's shot because obviously it's not really on a train. So they can fly a wall out of the way and they can show a whole area. But um, really a, a, 
a limited location story really puts the pressure on you to create a good scenario. Oh man, that's hard to do. Yeah. And good dialogue, you know, give the character something good to do because you can look out the window and admire the view. Yeah. The key I think in limited location is correcting is uh, creating the, the proper conflict um, channels so that when, when anybody's on the screen, you're aware that as they're talking, there's subtext to that, to that dialogue so that they're, you know, they're like the, the, a man talking to his wife with his mistress sitting in the seat next to yeah. her, something like that. And he's saying, oh, I love you, but he's really talking to the mistress. Yeah. So those are hard, hard things to do, I'm sure. There's, yeah. there's actually one scene in particular that does a fantastic version of that. Um, uh, obviously not giving anything away, but it's a, it's a murder mystery. They have to talk to all of the suspects and that kind of thing. And at one point, there's a room with three people in it. And one of them is the investigator, Hercule Poirot, and he is, he's just interviewed one of the suspects, and now he wants to talk to the other suspect. But he doesn't want that one, the, the first person that Odie's talking about. So he conducts the interview with her, the interrogation oh, wow. in Spanish, in, in German. Uh-huh. And, and there's this incredible tension <laughs> just because you as the viewer, and I don't speak German, I'm reading the subtitles, but I'm looking at the other person. Right. Like, Do they understand what he's saying to her? Wow, and it and it's just like it's a. I mean, you know, you could do that with an iPhone in a in a in a room, but it's just the the extra level of tension because it's like because he's saying stuff about the first person, right, to the second person right. in front of the first person. I, I but, love that technique. That's great. And it, but like beautifully simple and really like like I said, like it, it might be one of the 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 best tension building because you're just like, what if what? Because you know, in, in another movie, he could say something and then the first person would go. I understand everything you're saying and it would, it would pop the balloon and it wouldn't, it, it, the, the pop is not as exciting as the inflating absolutely. of that balloon. Absolutely. The anticipation so, is greater than the delivery. I yeah, guess. absolutely. Yeah. So that, that even though it's not, it's not, the, it's not the climax, it's not necessarily the crux of the whole movie. That part there was, I'm like, this is like the best scene in this whole movie because mm-hmm. it's so fun and doable. Well, and Brana comes from, you know, from theater, from Shakespeare. So he's well aware of how to make that stuff work. Obviously, William Shakespeare was a master at that. Um, That's right. You know, if you really, really, really want to be a screenwriter, you should, you should, I think uh, Bob Engel said it, you should That's right. Shakespeare and Dickens, right? So I've been watching um, a lot of silly, not silly, I guess, but I watched Collateral, which we had talked about. Uh, there, it's a four-episode miniseries. It's it's pretty good. It's um, Carrie Mulligan as a pregnant detective, um, which was which was they really didn't deal with. I think you, I, and Dan were talking about this after the Wednesday event. They really didn't deal with the pregnancy that much, um, and it was it was good. I recommend it. It's not going to blow your socks off, but it's pretty pretty good uh, entertainment. And then I've been watching a lot of stuff. I think I'm I'm not going to. You know, I did want to. Thank you again for Happen Leonard because I'm watching the second season of that. Oh, uh, and I did just start watching season three. Oh, it's on there? Uh, it just started. It's on um it's on the Sundance channel for first run. Seasons one and two are both available on Netflix, but season three just started on Sundance channel. I'm one episode in and um it's like a comfy pair of shoes. Oh nice. Yeah. No, I it's that is a great show. I mean, I know you're a fan of like off the beaten track drama, and that is really an off the beaten track drama. It's it's pretty standard at its core, but those two characters are unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, I really enjoy that show. 
And then I watched a documentary called Drunk, Stoned, Brilliant Dead, which is a kind of a companion piece to the Feudal and Stupid Gesture film, which is a biopic. Uh, but the Drunk, Stupid, whatever it is, Drunk, Stoned, Stupid, Brilliant Dead, or whatever, is a more of a documentary. They actually interview the real people like Chevy Chase and um, some of the other people who were part of the National Lampoon and SNL uh, movement. Um, and they actually get, they actually interview Henry Beard. So I wanted to mention real quickly, I watched one episode of a drama called Occupied, which is as bizarre a premise as I can imagine. It's, I can't remember if it's Norway, Sweden, or Denmark, um, shuts down their gas pipeline in favor of a, uh, I think it's called thorium energy source. And the Russian Federation decides to benignly take over the country with the permission of the, of the UN and um, the United States. Um, I can't tell you where it's going or if wow. it's going to, it's bizarre. I mean, it just, where, where are you seeing this? Uh, it was on, I want to say Netflix. Okay, because that that is that's that's fascinating. Yeah, it's it's called Occupied. Um, it's, I again, I I I don't know. It's so bizarre. It's so off the beaten track. I'm not sure if I liked it or didn't like it, or if I'm going to watch it or continue to watch. But I'm fascinated by uh, the premise, which is the the world is saying you can't because sh- they I guess they want the gas production to continue, and they don't. They this country wants to become completely gas free and so i can't like i can't remember it's at norway yeah i'm oh, looking okay. it up just based on what you said and i'm, I'm adding it to my netflix queue as we speak yeah okay well anyway i'm gonna i'll be watching it if i uh, i'm fighting the flu so i don't know if i'm gonna last that past this podcast we're recording this at uh, 9 15 on a sunday night uh because we've all we've both been so busy and mary claire is um uh in the on the road somewhere so we're, yeah so all we could do it, but, but by the way, Toby, thank you again for um, giving up some of your Sunday night to do this. I do appreciate it. So. Oh, you're welcome. Well, um, actually, I I, I want to say that in, what makes that a lot easier is that yesterday at the event uh, on uh, at at Claim Jumper, someone I didn't know and forgive me because I, I I didn't catch her name, even though we all had name tags on. Uh, she said, "Oh, I know you uh, because I, I know your voice from the podcast." No kidding. And, oh, and she's like, and she said she'd been listening to the podcast as she was driving to the event. Oh, and, uh, I was, that's, that's very flattering. Yeah, it is. All right. So, um, that's kind of what we're watching this week. Um, and, um, I'm going to segue into what are we writing? I don't know, Toby, if you had any chance, you're, you're pretty busy with your, with your quote unquote day job. Yeah, this is kind of a busy time for us, but I actually have been um, just for the pure exercise of it. And uh, just, just to, because I've been reading a lot. So I kind of want to, I find that if I read something that has technique that I like, I will, I'll write something, try to use that technique. And then it, 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 it sort of um, ingrains it into how I do things. So I'm, uh-huh. I've been just like little exercises and uh, I started writing this thing that it, it doesn't make any sense. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to go anywhere, but it's just a fun, uh, you know, it's almost like scratch paper and, uh, and that's been fun. But as far as anything that I would show to other human beings, uh, no, I have not. No. Yeah. Well, I had, I had a pretty good week. Um, a producer who I haven't 
who I wrote a couple scripts for and I haven't talked to in a while called me and he was looking for some um, women in jeopardy uh, scripts. And so I sent him three that I had, but then he sends back uh, a note and says, Mark, this is not what I'm looking for. Um, you know, we, I want uh, something like um, hand that rocks the cradle. So uh, I didn't think I had anything like that, but the odd thing about it is, uh, it, I, this story may take a little while. So uh, I hope um, I hope it stays in the podcast. I may edit it out, but I had written a script for him years ago, and he said, you know, just put anything in. I I want it as challenging as possible. I want I want people to be shocked. So I wrote this script. I sent it to him. He goes, I can't film this. So uh, I said, okay, well, I'll write you another script. Um, and make it a little less challenging, uh, no genital mutilation this time. And he, um, he liked it, and then that's the last I heard of it. But I reminded him of the script when he was looking for this Woman in Jeopardy film, uh, this kind of hand that rocks a cradle, because that's what this is. So he uh, asked me to send him a copy, which, you know, thank God writers are a little bit more anal than directors or producers, because I did have, I do have everything I've ever written from, you know, the la the cl first class I ever took. And so I sent him that. And then I sent him another one that's pretty, pretty interesting that I had collaborated on. So, so I did some furious uh, millennial rewrites to both of those properties and sent them off to him uh, last week. So I'm hoping for the best. I hope, I hope he picks up at least one. It would be nice. So, so when you say a millennial rewrite, that means everyone loses their pagers and gets smartphones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you turn like cab into, uh, you Uber. know, and uh yeah and the president and, is not bush it's no, uh, <laughs> nobody smokes they're just vaping and uh <laughs> yeah it's amazing how much i mean it's really not well you know sociologically we move along pretty quickly here every generation redefines themselves but they're, back, but they're still good and evil yeah that's true they're and still they both smoke thank god thank god <laughs> um all right and so um we're also going to do this week we're going to do uh our first 15 on Spotlight, which is a an Academy Award winning um, script from last year, we did get out on the pr previous podcast. This is from uh, 2017, and then the one I want to do for next is uh, the Big Sick. Um, it's a pretty well written script. I looked it over the other day. Even though it's not, it didn't win the Academy Award. It was nominated. So I'd like to do that for the next podcast. So kids, if you uh, want to find The Big Sick online, I'll probably put a link uh, like I did with the last one. But uh, this week we're doing Spotlight. Um, but I mean, what I thought in general, if you, this is kind of an old-timey Hollywood script. Yeah. You know, it's not, uh, it's not the, only, the only conceit in it as far as uh, technique is they start in 1976 and then they flash forward to... What year does this take place? Two thousand one. Uh, Twenty twenty oh one, yeah. And it's the story of the uh a group of investigative reporters who got into the idea that the Boston diocese was hiding um child abuse m among their priests and they weren't just they they would they would if a child was molested, they would move the priest, but they wouldn't take the priest out of a parish, uh, or I'm sorry, I should say, wouldn't take him away from kids. They would just put him to another parish. The script is very well paced. Uh, it's tight. The scenes do not go on too long. Nope. They start well. They end well. 
the characters are very well defined quickly, um, and it's a very layered story. Um, I the weird thing about reading a script and watching the movie is like I didn't get the sense that the what's the the, the new editor who comes in. What's his uh, name? Marty. Marty. Marty is the new editor, I believe. I would have never seen that Beeve Schreiber performance in that in this script. No, that's that's actually a great observation. I felt I felt very much the same way. In the movie, the uh, what's the word like that, that that internal conflict that that pressure is is immediate and obvious. But in the certainly in the first fifteen pages, it's not. It's yeah. it's it's um, well, well they we don't. Just, they don't react when he wants to, when he says, I want to sue the church. Not, they say, they put it in terms that they understand. He says, I want to get, I want to go to court to get the records. And they, they translate that to, do you want, you want to sue the church? Meaning you're committing a, a grievous sin here. You know, yeah. he, he doesn't see it that way, but also Leif Schreiber was very under, I thought his performance was very understated. Um, I, I didn't see that in this Marty character here. So. Yeah, well, actually, one of the things that I thought was was because, like you said, it's it's a really well put together script as far as everything you've you've ever been taught or read in a book about what a script is supposed to have. You arrive at the scene right when it gets to the bit you need to see, right. and you leave the scene right before they start having cups of coffee and talking about sports. Right. Yeah. Um, it's uh, so they start late and they leave early, which is yeah. what I what I teach in my classes is start as late as you can in the scene and leave as early as possible. Leave them hungry a little bit. Yeah. And I, I think I certainly know from watching the rest of the film that I think, I think Marty is uh, one of those things we always talk about in the scripts. He's the only person who can do what he has to do because he is an outsider. He's mm-hmm. outside of that establishment. And although it's not really referred to here, it comes up later. He's Jewish. He has no loyalty to uh, the yeah. Catholic Church. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, which, which actually, you know, does create some some humorous scenes later on in the film. If anything, can really be called humorous in this. Yeah. But um, well, it's a, it's it. You're right. It's a very it's a very. I thought Michael Keaton's uh, character was somewhat of the comedic relief. Uh, although the the scene at the end with Jamie Sheridan and him is really tough to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So the the opening is uh, Interior Police Station, Boston, night, 1976. I love this opening. A quiet, cold winter night. An older cop emerges from an interview and walks down a long hall. Superimposed on screen, Boston. It doesn't say that, but that's what it is. Boston, Massachusetts, December 1976. So basically this opening sets the tone. It tells you where you're at. I I think the superimpose is necessary because I don't think there's that much difference between 76 and 2001 as far as what cops do kind of thing. Oh, but right here, he lights a cigarette. And if it oh, was, yeah, okay. he would have, he would have vaped and it would have smelled like or he would have been outside, right? He would have had to go outside. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right. true. That's a very good point. <laughs> uh, but it sets the tone. It gives you a sense. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious what's going on. Of course, we know when we go to a movie, what the movie's about. I mean, it's not typical to walk into a theater and say, I've never heard of this movie. Um, but the, the first, what one, two, say two pages are, about the this priest being led out, uh, kind of the walk of shame. He's being led out of the police department. But here's here's what I thought was really fanat- uh, fantastic about this movie: um, that the writers are so in tune with these um, these people. I'm sure this was not, you know, in any record anywhere. But the 
the bishop says to another to this Burke character, who I guess is uh, what what is what is he uh, the kind of the the detective? He's the young, fresh faced detective. Detective, right? Okay, so he says yeah. the bishop says, "We'll be just another moment, Paul." And Burke says, "Of course, Father. Of course, Father." Um, yeah. And the, it says the bishop turns back to Sheila. Burke eyes the kids. Bishop off camera. Now, Sheila, I'm going to give you my personal card, which is the that is that's a brilliant line because that indi- that intimates that they handled this at a level that that's why it didn't get reported for so many years because these priests would go in, talk to the parishioners, say, you know, he's just a he's just a he's just a uh, what would you call it like misguided, uh, yeah, you yeah. know. He's sick, or you know, people would say it like it's it was it was an indiscretion as opposed to uh, anything. Right to a horrible, yeah, yeah. It's really really horrible. But but that line says exactly what what that gives you the sense that that's how they handled that shit. Uh, yeah. Was you know we're going to handle it personally. Here's my personal card. So, and I also think that that also alludes to the fact that this is not the first time any of these people, except true. for that lady, have gone through this. Like. Like, you know, Burke knows that the bishop's going to take care of it, and the bishop knows this is how I take care of it. And that's why, uh, that's why for the most part, this was kept swept under the rug because the cops, the, the priests, and a lot of the parishioners were in, you know, in collusion to keep this quiet. So there was a line in here on page three. Is your page three say exterior police station later? Yes. Okay. So the thing, I see this in a lot of scripts, and I'm just always curious as to how it gets in there. But it says, we hold on the cop, and then the word processing. And I'm not sure, you know, I can, I can intuit what processing means, but what, what, I think an actor would go to the director at that point and say, what am I processing here? You know, am I processing the, the, the cover-up, the, the molestation? You know, I, don't, I, I think that's really... You know, it's a wonderful film, but I think that's a that's a, a flaw. I think some they do that every once in a while, where they make you, the reader is privy to something I don't think the uh, viewer could possibly know. So yeah, I, actually, it's funny because that, that didn't bother me now at the time, but now that you say that, it does because I've seen a lot of other films, especially like when a student film or uh, mm-hmm. an inexperienced mm-hmm. filmmaker, they they put lots of that kind of thing in their movie. They'll have lots of like somebody looks off. They kind of look off, you know, they do that thousand mile stare past the camera. And it's like, I don't know why they're doing that. Right. Oh, well, you know, they're thinking about this important thing. I'm like, that hasn't really been set up yet. Well, and then the thing is, is you can, there's how many interpretations to any one gesture or, I mean, when you give somebody the finger, that's a pretty clear gesture. But if you're doing it in jest or something, anyway, it, 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 bothered, it stopped me. There's a couple other things like that, but not too many. Um, then we, we cut to the Boston Globe newsroom uh, in 2001, and basically this scene is set up to establish Robbie, who is the, uh, the, the leader of the Spotlight group, and that was played by Michael Keaton. Um, and there's a, lot of, there's a lot of really good like, uh, lines back and forth. They joke about the guy who's retiring and that, that the Robbie's putting his kids through college and he doesn't want, him to, lo- he doesn't want to lose them for the poker game. Um, so that goes on there. And then, um, but also I just had this thought when I was reading this, I mean, this felt very bang, bang to me, like very matter of fact, you know, they go from one moment to another in a really great fashion, very well paced, but very bang, bang. This has got to be accomplished. Let's get that done. It's almost like they're doing like the script is reflecting the investigation that they did, um, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then oh, we, oh, go ahead. Well, I, I mean, it's one of the things that they do very well is that first scene we were talking about with the, the bishop and, and the, mm-hmm. the child, and that establishes this tone of, of this, this crime, and obviously that it's historic. It's, it's 1976. One of the other things that it does is it buys them some time within with it for the viewer for the reader to get this stuff out of the way mm-hmm. because if you were to start this script on page three and cut that scene out and you know it's just it's really just two sheets of paper it, th- these scenes would be almost laborious a bunch yeah. of guys you know glad handing about someone who's retiring who cares but we know that there's something and it's all going to lead to that and so it's it's a really well uh, engineered script in that respect because these yeah. are the first 15 pages yeah it gives you the coin as i say in class it gives you the coin to spend to kind of get some of these introductions and and uh mundane things out of the way because you know it's starting with a very a very uh very uh, in, in interesting opening which is what's going on here where is it going to go so um, then I thought I thought they did transitions well, which is you know I see a lot of bad transitions in work, but I like this transition. So they go from the newsroom where they're where they're having cake and giving this guy his send off, and then uh, Sasha Pfeiffer and Matt Carroll who are one they're holding cake and one of them's eating his Matt's eating his no Matt is not eating his Sasha's eating hers, and they're transi- what they're doing is they're going from the 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 regular newsroom to the spotlight offices, but they're, they're doing it in a nice transition fashion, which is this walking, talking, eating cake kind of thing, which I thought was great. Um, And then I love this description of Mike Resendez, Mike Resendez, late thirties, good looks, so, so haircut (laughs) said it sits at his unholy mess of a desk. I just thought that was great. Great. description. Um, Then we're going to go to page five, which, you know, there's, so Mike's dialogue, let's just, let me just read this. Uh-huh. 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 Dan, I talked to my guy at justice. I know you guys have been dropping cases. Look, Dan, I'm not asking if the PD's lying. I know they are. All I'm asking is who's behind it. Matt sets a cake by Mike, sits at the desk full of family photos, which again tells you something different about Mike than uh, Matt, right? One's, one's got family photos. One's yeah. got a holy mess of a, a desk. Sasha checks messages at a tidy desk full of books, which is interesting too. Mike into phone. I get it. You don't want to talk. I'm not mad, Dan. I'm hungry. We've been talking so long I miss lunch. So I'm going to go eat, which gives you an hour to decide if you want to be on the right side of this or read about it in the paper like everyone else. Which that's the, um, who, who played the Incredible Hulk? Um, or who plays the Incredible Hulk? Which, which one? The new one. Oh, it's uh, Ruffalo, Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, Mark Ruffalo. That's the Mark, Ru- Mark Ruffalo character who is the kind of the, the hands and feet of this investigation. He's the one that goes in. He's really an investigative reporter. He, he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't take no for an answer. And so that, I think that really sets him up well uh, to show you how much of a bulldog he is. Um, yeah, and actually, if we could just, because the, the scene that leads into that, you were talking about the, the sort of the walk and talk that takes us into Spotlight, out of the regular newspaper into Spotlight. I, I think that's a really great um, technique to establish um, the, the separate world. Yes. Is to physically travel from it. Rather than just show another location, a lower third that says the other office, it takes us into a new world. Like, this is newspaper, this you know this is a little different and we know that what happens here is a little different. And I, I thought it by, by doing, by, by doing it physically, right. uh, it, right. it was a great bit of in, in your head, the world you're building in your head before this movie existed, 
that was a nice bit of business. Right, I agree, I agree. And then on that page, on page five, they talk about, you think, as Sasha says, you think Cahill's got something. Maybe I just don't think this story's for us. Ben likes it. Yeah, but it's not bad, but it's just not Spotlight. So that also starts to establish the fact that this organization or this this world within the world, Spotlight, is a special, they're special investigatory, they're, they're, you know, we love special things, right? We love to, we love to see the oddballs, the specialists, the, the people who are kind of uh, disenfranchised or, and, and this, these guys are not, but they work on a very, a different, completely, a, a newspaper is every day, got to get it done. Uh, you know, today it would, the equivalent would be your blog, you know, your, your news blogs and stuff, but these guys take their time. They have a different rhythm or a different pace, and they're consistently establishing that. And that comes up back even more when they meet, when uh, Robbie meets with, um, with the, uh, uh, is it Robbie? Meets with the, yeah, with the uh, editor. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I think that's a great, I mean, it's, it's, because um, we also kind of shouldn't, you know, the elephant in the room is this is based on a true story. So, so right. that that factor is is like well, this was very effective. Why was it very effective? Well, it was based on a true story, but a lot of boring stories happen too. Yeah. Uh, th- there's a there's a time that this might have really been you know benefited from being of a certain time. But one of the things that is is kind of always a universal. What you were talking about the specials. These are the special reporters. Well, mm-hmm. with special reporters, mm-hmm. you get special stories. That's what this is. They're definitely selling us. This is. These are special journalists. These are special stories. So let's skip ahead to page seven um, because I want to talk a little bit about the introduction. They 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 have a new editor from Miami, and as Toby mentioned, he's Jewish. He's not bust, uh, from Boston. He's not he's not quote unquote in the in the the uh, the, the the group. And he's reading one of the things I think was great. He's reading at the Four Seasons Hotel. Robbie, who's played by Michael Keaton, is meeting him. Uh, met Marty, who's played by Leif Schreiber, uh, and he's reading The Curse of the Bambino. And uh, he says, well, you know, they introduce themselves. Says, uh, what are you reading? The Curse of the Bambino. He said, that's a great book. The Globe has season tickets at Fenway once you settle in. And right away, he says, thank you. Uh, to be honest, I'm not much of a baseball fan. I'm just trying to get a feel for the city. So right away, he's separating himself away from the, the these, you know, rabid uh, baseball fans who <clears throat> who support the uh, the local teams and stuff like that. And then, um, the, then on page eight, they go into the particulars of Spotlight, where Robbie says, well, we're a four-person investigative team. We report to Ben Bradley Jr., and we keep our work confidential. So then the scene is a little bit static. I, I'm not a fan of sitting at tables talking uh, to people's scenes, but it, it, you know, you can always break that rule by having just great writing. And this is good writing. The dialogue is good. If you guys, you know, pick up the script, look how long each of the sentences are or the, the, uh, the, the dialogue exchanges are. I don't think there's any more than three lines of dialogue or three and a, and a tad line of dialogue for any one person, which gives you what have, the reason that's so important is because it gives you a back and forth. We we're not really writing dialogue like, like we talk, right? We're writing a artificial form of communication on scripts, but to make it, make it less artificial, if there's more give and take more back and forth, it feels like it moves better. Um, so I, I've told this story before, but put your little finger there. If your dialogue's bigger than your little finger, it's too big. That's what I was always told. And then on nine, 
I there was a couple there was a couple things in here. I don't want to go too long. That's why I'm kind of rushing us through, Toby. I yeah. I apologize. If there's something you want to add, just please. Well, add. only like you're absolutely right about the scene with uh, Marty and Robbie, and and there's definitely it's it definitely is a static scene. You know, it's a it's a but it's it's the dialogue is tax sharp, and I think one of the clever things about a scene that's not visually very dynamic is that you can pay attention to what what they're saying actually means Marty is quite literally um, I am the inciting incident in this story. Yes. I am the deviation from the status quo. I'm not into baseball. I'm not from around here. I'm Jewish. I'm not involved in the community that we're all trying to protect. And, and quite, and that's why it's beautiful. The end of that scene, his last line is fair enough. I just think we can do better. That's a great line. And that, that page, that scene that the part of that scene sets the stakes for the, for the group. Cause Marty says, well, Robbie says, is that a concern after they're told um, they can spend up to a year or more investigating? He says, not necessarily, but from, but from what I understand, readership is down. The internet is cutting into classifieds. And I think um, I'm going to have to take a hard look at things. So that's kind of a shot across the bow. Uh, you know, yeah, I appreciate what you're doing, but I'm here to, kick some ass and take names, right? Uh, and, yeah. Because they talked earlier about him cutting like 25% of the staff in the last paper he was at. Yeah, well, that's also the thing. He comes in and he is, he is a mysterious figure. Yes. Because he is, he's, he's definitely change, and, but those people that are already there can't decide if change is going to be good or bad. Right. Um, let's skip ahead um, to page 11. Um, actually, there's not really that much interesting on page 11 let's go to 12 because i liked this was the scene i thought when you said that the marty character is the inciting incident that is so true and so just spot on because this is a scene with um he's the first time he's meeting the all the the entire group of editors right he says great thank you did everyone read ellen mcnamara's column this weekend the room reacts huh Editors look at Ellen McMahon, McNamara. Yes, um, anyway, the editors look at this woman. Um, Helen, that's the, the Gogan case. Marty, yes. What's the follow on that? Follow meaning follow. That's news speak, newspaper speak. I had to look it up. I didn't know what it was. Ben, it's a column. What kind of follow were you thinking? Marty, well, apparently this priest molested kids in six different parishes over the last 30 years. And the attorney for the victims, Mr. Eileen Garabedian, Marty, thanks, Eileen. Mr. Garabedian says Cardinal Law found out about it um, 15 years ago and did nothing. Canellos, I think the attorney's a bit of a crank, and the church dismissed the claim. Eileen, he said, she said. Marty, whether Mr. Garabedian is a crank or not, he says he has the documents that prove the Cardinal knew. And so this is, and this is, this is the scene where we get the story parameters. We have a, a guy who's coming in without blinders. He's looking at, um, you know, the situation and saying, why aren't, what, and that's one of the themes that, that goes throughout this uh, is that they had this information, but they didn't follow up on it, which is another reason that these priests got away with it for how many years? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the scene, uh, the scene really kind of, it, it serves multiple purposes, but in, in any screenplay or like in a, in a weird way, uh, this movie is sort of like a heist movie. This is the bit where we explain what the bank job is going to be. And, and that's very striking about this story that it was an outsider that came in, saw clearly what everybody was, 
you know, ignoring and decided to, like you're saying, it's a heist movie. Let's, let's solve the crime. Let's, let's figure this out. So at the same time, he was kind of threatening, um, the Robbie's uh, group, the spotlight group, he was also saying, in fact, I think at the end of the scene, he said, um, you want to sue the church? Technically we wouldn't sue the church. You'd file a motion. The church will read that as suing us. So will everybody else, Marty. Good to know. <laughs> it's like, yep. he doesn't care. He doesn't give a shit. It's like, I want a story. I'm going to get it. And uh, so, um, and then I, let's just skip ahead. I, where was the line? Do you remember the line where he says, would you consider putting this aside? Is that after the scene? After 15? Yeah, I believe so. Cause I think it's after they're talking. I think Marty's talking to Ben at that point. Right, right. Marty yeah, that, Ben that says, is, it's, yeah. it's on page 16 actually. It's when Marty's talking to Ben Bradley and he's right. trying to say like, I'd like to do this. And Ben's like, this seems like it might be. Uh... Well, Ben says Marty in the past spotlight has success in large part because they pick their own projects. And Marty says, would you consider picking this one? Meaning there's no, it's not, he's not asking, he's telling them this is your next, your next assignment. And thank but, also, but also the choice of words is very politely. It's not saying I'm your boss. This right. is what you do right. because we're not going to be adversarial on this, but I'm, I'm using what influence I have. One of the things I thought was a weakness of this is didn't you are too, Toby, a sucker for these types of uh, procedurals. I like them yeah. a lot. Right. This is about, you know, they have to unearth the facts. And we all decide about the implication and the impact of that. And we see how it impacts these characters. Which is, which the script does very well. So before we move on to this next segment, which is um, normally done by Mary Claire Anderson, Van Kempen, the princess of the podcast, um, I want to mention again, you can reach us at plotpoints.com uh, or 919scripts, that's S-C-R-I-P-T-S. Um, and uh, as far as the, the on-the-ground events that OC screenwriters do, we're, we're having a, another meeting um, with um, James Herson, uh, entertainment attorney and talent agent, on I think it's April 18th. Uh, and then Tiana Lee is, I think, May 20th. And Frank Chindamo is, again, I think, May 16th. I'm not sure of those dates, but if you go to ocfilmandtv.com, you can find the information there. And also, uh, I just redesigned the website. So I think it's a much better, easier to navigate, uh, much more mobile-friendly experience. And there's some. I just put an article up there that I was going to record for Act 3. If we have time, I'll, I'll record it on my own. But um, you can go there and see it's called The Empty Space. Um, I thought, you know, it was uh, inspired by a couple golfers, actually, which I thought was unusual. I don't think I've ever written anything about golfers in my life. But um, you can go there and you can, see the, you can see some of the events and you can also read some of the, um, some of the contributions to the website. So... So, uh, Toby, you have our you have our this week or this month or this year or whatever this century in film history. What do you got? I, I do. Okay. Well, first, with all due respect to Mary Claire, this is this is a segment she excels at. She always picks something out that is fun to talk about. I was not as fortunate, uh, <laughs> but I did a, I did I did a lot of work because I had an idea and it wasn't a very good idea, and I just kept working at it till I came up with something I liked. So this might be a little more of like an op-ed piece, but what I did was. Uh, I pulled open box office mojo and I thought to myself, let's just pick, I got to just pick like this week in film history. So I just arbitrarily picked a year and I uh-huh. picked 1988 
1988, let's see, Mark, you would have been about three. (laughs) I was uh, slightly younger. And I looked at what were the top movies in 1988. And uh, apart from the fact that it's hard to believe, there was a week, this week, uh, you know, this, this week of March, the third week of March, 1988, you could see all of these films in the theater. Uh, you could see Biloxi Blues. Mm. You could see Good Morning Vietnam, DOA, Moonstruck, Three Men and a Baby, The Last Emperor, Stand and Deliver, The Unbearable Lightness of Being, and movies that aren't good. But you could see those movies in the theater like all this week. They were all playing at some theater near you. Now, that's one thing and we can talk about that movies used to be better or used to be worse and it's not important. Different. What's ex- Exactly. They were different. But here's something that I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, throughout the show, we're always talking about what we're watching on Amazon or Netflix mm-hmm. or, or you know, HBO or whatever. That's obviously where we're consuming a lot of our entertainment. But uh, this week in the box office mojo, and of course, this is the week up until this week. So technically, this is last week, even as we're recording it. Black Panther is number one in the box office. Tomb Raider was number two. A movie called I Can Only Imagine, which was a faith-based uh, Christian film, was number three. Right. Those films made a pile of money. Those three films together made more than the top uh, 20 films made in 1988, not adjusting for whatever. But obviously movie tickets cost a lot more. So statistically, what does that mean? I don't know, but here's something that I thought was fascinating, right? Biloxi Blues was the number one film in 1988 this week in theaters. It was playing in 1,239 screens. Oh my. 1239. Black Panther was playing in 3,834 screens. Mm-hmm. And that was down 108 screens from the week before. Yeah. So even though Mark and I and a lot of the people listening to this show, we're watching a lot of Netflix, we're watching a lot of HBO, we're watching a lot of Amazon, um, there are a ton of screens out there showing movies. And I, I didn't even add up the top 20, like how many screens are all playing on. But I'm just saying right now, Biloxi Blues was playing on 1239. Uh, Police Academy 5 was playing on 1,700 screens. I can't imagine that movie played on 1,700 screens total. But well, my, my point being, like, these, there, there's just a ton of screens. Now, people are talking about movie theaters are having a tough time and all this stuff and all the good stuff's on Netflix and all this stuff. But there are lots of screens, and this is where it kind of turns into an op-ed piece and hopefully a little more optimistic, is there are plenty of screens that have to show something. Right. That need to show a movie. Now, almost 4,000 of them, and the week before, 4,000 of them were showing Black Panther and making a pile of money. But just last week, uh, The Shape of Water was still playing on 758 screens. Hurricane Heist, which is uh, the creators of uh, The Fast and the Furious. It's a heist movie. It's a big special effect-y thing. It's playing on 2,200, almost 2,300 screens. That is amazing when you think about it. That's a lot of damn screens, huh? It's a lot of screens. Now, uh, on Saturday's event... Uh, we had, uh, oh golly, I just, I just totally brain farted on his name because I had all these notes in front of me. Bob Angles. Uh, but Bob Angles, Bob Angles, uh, who's predominantly worked in television, and he was talking about there are now 400 scripted television shows. Wow. And that's a lot of scripted television shows. There's, you know, your folks have been watching a show for five years and you've never heard of it. There's lots of stuff out there. <laughs> Everything, anything that's got a shiny surface is, is a screen and there's somebody putting a program on that screen. So the people, the people that are listening to this, and I say this to myself as much as I'm saying it to Mark, Mark is, Mark is already a, a, a produced screenwriter. I'm just the guy that keeps writing stuff and thinking it's crap and moving on to the next one. 
there's lots of screens out there. There's yeah. lots of people. A lot of opportunity. Yeah, we've never been hungrier to watch stuff. And God knows, like, not watching the news is a pretty good idea right now. There's lots of places to watch movies and TV shows. And those uh, screens, they need content. If you can get yourself to that level and you can get your foot in the door by being a professional uh, in, in your conduct, um, you, you know, you're going to be busy. Well, Toby, this has been great. Um, thank you so much. I, I do appreciate it. I do thank you. Um, I'm going to be teaching a podcasting class through Orange Coast College starting in June. And this is one of the things I wanted to try. So this was a great opportunity. Anyway, uh, getting off track. Toby, tell, tell, tell our, um, our dead radio audience where they can find us and uh, what, what they can do. Well, folks, if you uh, if you want to tell us what you liked, what you didn't like, uh, ask Mark how he's doing with his uh, flu, then uh, please go to any of the following <laughs> websites. Oh, oh, there you go for effect. OCScreenwriters.com, uh, OCFilmandTV.com. Actually, OCScreenwriters.org. Yeah, because, you can, the com yeah. will get you there, though. But yeah. the com will get you there. Uh, OC Film and Television, OC Film and TV dot com go there you can also go to plotpoints.com and i think is it also plotpointspodcast.com yeah i got both yeah because mary oh, Claire so. kept on saying plotpointspodcast.com so i just it's truth just like play spin the bottle with google and you're gonna find us <laughs> or, yeah. or you're gonna find something really just let us know what you found but you can give us a call at 919 scripts you can leave a voicemail we do do a lot of questions we love it when people have screenwriting questions mm -hmm. because for mark it just gets him an opportunity to you know refresh his memory about what he already knows what he's already learned it helps me because sometimes I think I know the answer and I'm wrong. And it, 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 we all benefit from that. And uh, so please get in touch and let us know what you think. Okay. So the script for next week or next podcast will be The Big Sick, which is uh, based on a true story, which is interesting. Um, and um, there was one other thing I wanted to mention. Uh, oh, you can, if you go to ocscreenwriters.com or .org, it doesn't matter what you go to. It all go to the same place. There's actually, I found a way to embed the podcast into the website so you can actually listen to the podcast right off the website. And it does give us credit because it's a Libsyn um, plugin. Great. So you can go there and you can hear all the episodes. It's pretty cool. It's one of the one of the more fun things I think I've done. Right. And, and if you do that while you're at the office, um, then you're getting paid to listen to the show. <laughs> you're doing better than we are. So I think that's a compelling argument right there. Absolutely. Well, Toby, um, I, I hope my flu wasn't too distracting. It's, uh, it's nasty, but uh, I, I, I felt really good about our, our conversation today. Thank you so much. And I'm happy to oblige and, and thanks for not coughing or sneezing on me. Uh, <laughs> right. We don't have a, we don't have one of those. Don't, don't they have buttons in the radio station where you push the button when you're going to sneeze or something like that? So it mutes? Yes. Yeah. But most of the time, you know, there's three people in the studio and only one person knows how it works. Right. Well, we don't, we don't even know. We don't even have the option of not knowing how it works. So uh, to all our dead radio listeners here and abroad, uh, be inspired. Do good work. Thank you very much.